You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Silver Screen Science. The series where we talk about the science of movies. Yeah. Not just nitpicking stuff, but talking about how science fits into movies, how movies treat science. Where is that crossover between science and pop culture? Today, we're doing a weird one. Very weird one. This episode is about the animals of the James Bond franchise. Ah, you didn't see that one coming. No, because that's a very strange choice. (laughs) We'll explain a bit more about what exactly we mean in a moment. But first, the reason that we're doing Silver Screen Science this time of the year is because we're stuck at home trying not to be part of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we know a lot of our listeners are as well, which is a good time to watch movies, listen to podcasts, and for us to make more podcast stuff. Yeah. It also means that we've been watching lots of movies. A bit. Now, originally our James Bond movie watching was completely unrelated to the podcast. No, just personally, we decided to do it. We're going to watch through the James Bond franchise. And we did. Yes. And as we were going through, there's obviously there's science in the James Bond franchise. There are scientists. There's like mad science and physics and chemistry and space and all sorts of stuff. But none of that really was enough meat for us to make an episode of Silver Screen Science for our podcast. Yeah, neither of us are quite specialized in all of those things. But the one thing we found ourselves consistently commenting on was the way that animals are used in the Bond movies. Mm Mm-hmm. So this episode, we are going to talk about that. We'll touch on what animals show up, how they are represented accurately versus not. Also, we found ourselves talking a lot about how the animals were treated. Like personally treated. Yeah, like as individuals. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. It's a break from our normal format where we talk about science and concepts and scientists. This is just animals. Because if we were talking about science in the Bond franchise, we would be here forever. Oh, there's no end. Also, not most of it's not in our wheelhouse, like you said. For the uninitiated, James Bond is a fictional character who is a secret agent in the British Secret Service. Originally featured in a series of novels by Sir Ian Fleming, Bond has made many, many appearances in film, mostly through Eon Films. Yes. Their first Bond film was Doctor No in 1962. Their latest actually comes out this year, Mm -hmm. but originally it was supposed to be out this month, April, and it is not because of the pandemic. So that one we'll see some other time. There are 24 movies spanning six decades in this franchise. We watched all 24 of them. Each one is Bond is the secret agent and there's some bad guys doing some bad stuff. And he goes to places and he meets people and he treats various humans and bad guys and animals and women in various questionable ways. (laughs) And there's all sorts of hijinks that happen. Sometimes it's super serious and and spy thrillery. Other times it's high camp and sometimes it's just plain not worth watching. We also watched the most famous Bond film that is not part of the Eon Films franchise, which was Never Say Never Again in 1983. There are also two other Bond 
movies, both adaptations of Casino Royale, one in the 50s, which was a TV thing, and one in the 60s, which was a satire thing. We did not watch those, so if there were any Bond purists out there, sorry. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't get to this. So, as always, this is your spoiler warning. Mm -hmm. This episode may contain minor spoilers for as many as 25 movies. Yes. So... That we're going for a record this time. <laughs> <laughs> Most of what we're going to talk about, I don't think, is actually very plot significant. No, I mean, like, like other than letting you know what happens in certain scenes, it's not going to ruin what happens to, like, the bad guy. So, over the course of the franchise, there are several instances where animals show up for various reasons related to the plot of the movie, Oftentimes as part of the villainous schemes or in the background or setting the scene or whatever. But the movie that made us want to do this episode when we were going through was 1973's Live and Let Die. Yeah. Because it is the first film in the franchise to feature crocs mm-hmm. and snakes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's actually a bunch to talk about with those. So we're just going to go animal by animal kind of starting with crocs. Will? So, this movie has a scene where the bad guys take Bond to an alligator farm in Louisiana. Which is a real thing. Which is, yeah, like, it's it's a very normal-looking alligator farm. And the whole thing is that it's like, they've set up base at this old alligator farm, and they are going to feed him, leave him to be eaten Right. The the classic, we're going to leave you out there and then not actually pay attention to what happens. Exactly. And walk away and assume it all goes according (laughs) to plan. (laughs) Uh, Which is pretty, you know, par for the course. Yeah, you got big toothy animals, feed the good guy to them. Uh, But the part that got us interested is as the bad guy is walking Bond out to the pond where they're going to leave him, he's throwing some chicken to the crocs and the gators in the pond and points at them. And he says, now you see that one. That's a crocodile. You can tell because of the narrow snout. Yeah. Alligators have rounder snouts. And he throws a piece of chicken to an alligator. And they also were American alligators and American crocodiles. Which if you're in Louisiana. You could have. It seems reasonable. (laughs) Like, so having those two at an alligator farm in Louisiana and correctly identifying how to differentiate them. Was not what I was expecting. No, that was the first thing that made us go, oh, yeah, no, this could be an episode. Yes. (laughs) That's really, they they did a good job with Mm -hmm. the crocodilians. And the rest of that scene, I mean, there's a couple of parts where, like, the, they leave him out on a little island, and then the alligators and crocs start slowly coming up on the island, and it's suggested, like, maybe they're coming for him, but there's also a lot of chicken left on the island. Right. And, like, in reality, they're coming up for the chicken. And they're not le- lunging or attacking no. or doing anything particularly movie monstery. They're just slowly coming a little closer to this new person in their habitat. Which seems like a thing they would do. Yep. So they're... It's not that bad. The worst part of the scene is that Bond gets out of it by running on the backs of three crocodiles. I can see why they thought that would be cool. <laughs> and they were actually crocodiles. Yeah, no, it's not like they made rubber versions for him to run on. No, they tied down three crocodiles so that they were just below the water and you couldn't see the ties. And then yeah. they had a stunt guy run across their backs. Yeah. Which isn't great. And again, a theme that you'll see as we go through this. 
a lot of these movies were made in the 60s and 70s. Before Milo and Otis. Before... <laughs> <laughs> so there is a lot of questionable animal treatment. Now, I, I believe I've read that, that that scene, when they were filming it, there was a moment where the stunt guy fell. Yeah, like, I've seen the clips of their multiple takes of that scene, and in one of them, he trips and lands on one of the crocodiles. Yep. And the crocodile is just, like, mouth open, like, going back and forth, waiting for him to get close enough, and he just slowly <laughs> reorients himself and then hops onto the land. Which is why we don't do that, movie makers. Yep. So, starting off actually fairly well. Yeah. With Crocs. Crocs appear in only one other movie in the franchise, and that was in 1983's Octopussy. Mm-hmm. And I think they were gators? Yeah, they're supposed one? to be in India, but they use right. an American alligator. So what should it be in India? So in India, you would either have it be a mugger croc uh, or saltwater croc. Right. Uh, so like the Australian saltwater croc, they range all the way up to southern India. So depending on where he was, uh, but it should have been a mugger. Like So you used an alligator. Yeah. And then I think they attack a person. Like someone falls in the water and they they are implied to attack the person. Yeah, well, it, there's a... Uh, he fights with a guy and they fall into the water and the guy gets eaten but bond conveniently escapes in his croc sub yes so there is a robo croc <laughs> robo croc which i think makes up for the alligator yeah uh, in india thing yep because <laughs> that's the kind of movie that that one is <laughs> so two appearances for crocodilians but not terrible yeah like, like b plus using alligators in place of crocodiles I can't count how many TV shows I've seen do like going to another country's expensive and then getting area accurate animals I'm sure is even more expensive and alligators are much easier to work with right so than crocodiles <laughs> it's a reasonable compromise so I get it snakes appear in several of these movies yes they do and they are significantly less good yeah they're not they're not quite handled as well man it's just you know we we had talked about this the snakes are monsterified in the way that the crocs aren't and i think it's because you don't need to monsterify a croc no what do you need to make up about a croc and if you are making up you don't know enough about crocs <laughs> you, you you should have talked to someone so there the uh, the first movie that we get a bunch of snake appearances is was live and let die mm -hmm. same film they're down in louisiana so you know they're closer to the tropics and you get reptiles and stuff yeah there are three scenes that uh, feature snakes prominently in this movie all three times they are implied to be dangerous because they are venomous yes like they're all supposed to be that if, if this thing bites you you're done for there's their snakes are used in this ceremony where I guess they're making sacrifices. Yeah, it's supposed like to be the voodoo. Locals are doing you know, the, the, this is not a podcast about the cultural representations in the Bond franchise. Then there's a snake that is put in Bond's hotel room to attack him. Yep, like it's that classic. I'm going to just slip this animal in here, and surely it will kill the good guy. And then one of the bad guys falls into a coffin full of snakes at the same ceremony site <laughs> later on. Now. All three times, the implication is you, you're, they're snakes. If they bite you, you're going to die. The snake used in the ceremony appears to be some kind of tree python. Yes. Like green tree or emerald tree python. And the snake that's left in Bond's room is a king snake. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, 
not harmful. No. And that means that that king snake did not deserve the end that it met. The horrifying way that real Bond oh, it was real bad. <laughs> Bond's a mean person. Also, they per- portray it in this movie that like being bitten by a snake is like like insta death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, assassin's dart is it hits you and you go hurt and then they're just dead. Yep. And which is always funny to me when they do stuff like that where. It has it needs to kill him in a second so that people understand how bad it is. Yeah, because otherwise people wouldn't know. Yeah. So the snakes are very monstery and threatening. They're not they're not behaving particularly like they don't try to make it seem like they're particularly aggressive, but just that they are like almost like they're a biohazard. That is just right. Here is a dangerous thing. Yeah, they're in the room, which means you are this close to death. Because you're this close to that snake. Now, I will say, while, again, like the alligator situation, while you are using non-venomous snakes to imply venomous dangers, I do appreciate why you would do that. Mm -hmm. No, you shouldn't. I would be more incensed if they had actually had a guy holding, like, a copperhead. Yeah. No, don't do that. (laughs) Yes. That's terrible. (laughs) Why is that on set? (laughs) You pay people to remove those from where you film. Now, there are two other uh, appearances in other movies where we do see cobras. Yes. Actual venomous snakes. One, again, in Octopussy. Mm-hmm. There's cobras in baskets doing the thing. Yeah. And in Casino Royale, the 2006 one that we watched, there's a scene where a bunch of people are like, it's like a, an animal fighting it's, pitch. It's, yeah, they're gambling on a cobra versus a mongoose. Versus a mongoose, which, boo on you for showing animal fighting as a gambling sport. Yeah. But you chose a good pair. Yep. You're accurate to your area. And I know, once again, this isn't a uh, podcast on the cultural representation, (laughs) but I know that that's a real thing. Like, right, right, right. Mongoose cobra fights are a thing that, I don't know if it still happens, but has happened. Right. That is a, was a sport, is a sport. Uh, So like, it's kind of funny that, the one snake you have that is probably the most visually impressive of all the venomous snakes and actually a scary venomous snake. The most dangerous snake we've seen in the films. You don't use either time to threaten Bond. No. Both times a cobra shows up, it is either just a scene thing or it is actually in the most danger. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's fighting a mongoose. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, there, that's not there where it should was, be. There was a snake that crawled on Bond in Octopussy. For like a oh, moment, yeah, yeah. He, and I think that was a cobra. It's when he's having his jungle montage, and he's just bumping into stuff. <laughs> See, yeah, we're going to bring this movie up a bunch of yeah. times. <laughs> and yeah, one just like goes over his leg, and I think he just tells it to shoe or something. He like, yeah, he, he chastises like, the snake. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and it kicks it away. Then there are two other films where we see pythons show up. Yeah. And they are used in ways that are, for the movie, fairly reasonable. Yeah. One, the most impressive one, is in Moonraker. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where Bond goes to the villain's lair, because that's what Bond does, and he is a, pushed into the water. With a, a prop stone. And then a snake comes out, a big python, and I think it's called a python. Yeah, he says, some my python. He refers to it as my python. And then Bond wrestles with it for a bit while it tries to constrict him while he's in the water. Now... They used a real snake for it, yep. although the scenes where Bond is wrestling it, it appears to be, in some cases, very obviously fake. Yes, which is good. Yes, that, don't wrestle a python. Because, at, as we'll get to later, 
that is not always the case in these movies. No, no, it's not. <laughs> the python they used in that scene appears to be a reticulated python. At, as best as we could ID it from the, the shots in the internet. Yeah. Which, good choice. That's like, awesome. That is an actual dangerous snake. Mm-hmm. You chose you chose correctly for what the snake would be. And it, it was actually a neat scene because there are scenes underwater with the snake as it's swimming over to Bond that are real clips of a snake swimming. Yes. And then as soon as it gets over to him, at which point it switches from being real to fake, it's hard to say for sure. But right. most of the scenes where it's with him, it is a rubber snake. Yeah, it's a dummy snake. Uh, But it... We got, like, it's actually a fun scene just because you get to see a reticulated python swim around. Now, I don't know how often reticulated pythons are actually hunting in the water. That's a very anaconda thing to do. And I don't know that reticulated pythons do it much. But props to you for using a snake that actually is known in real life to attack people. Yeah. Unlike, you know, king snakes. (laughs) And then... The other one's a weird one. The last, you know what? I the last one is probably the most realistic that's, use of a snake. That's the reason. It is <laughs> by far the most reasonable, but it's reasonable for a very weird reason. So in Never Say Never Again, the quote unquote unofficial Bond film or semi non eon, there is a bad lady who has a snake. That's how you know she's bad. Yep, she has a pet snake. She kisses it and stuff. Yeah, which don't do that. And she uses it to take out a target yeah and the way that she does it is that they're both driving and she has the snake which is a ball python uh, it looks like and she throws it from her car into his car and it lands in does it land in his lap i I don't think we actually see it land on him it lands in the front seat we we see her throw it and then i think we see him react and he freaks out and drives off the road and crashes and dies yep the snake is okay which she is gets, the important part. She gets the snake back and she kisses it and tells it it did a good job. That, I think, is the one of the most realistic ways to kill a target with a snake. Yep. <laughs> it's... That is a realistic way that a person might react to having <laughs> a snake thrown well, through their window. So... I mean, if you're going to kill someone using a ball python, that's the way to do it. That's the only way that's I... That's the only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you use it like a garrote yeah wire, exactly you, which you, you shouldn't do that's mean to the snake that I, throwing it into a crashing car was a very mean thing to do no there's no way that's kind to the snake to kill someone with a ball python no there's no way that's kind to the snake regardless of the snake to kill someone with a snake true because it's gonna get stomped or something yeah although i guess in live and let die they tied up their sacrifices and then the, you know so you know I well, guess there's I mean, a way they were being it. fairly conscious of the safety of their snakes uh until one of them fell on a pile of them yeah well it wasn't his fault he was pushed yeah but they still did it in the movie so there are snakes in several of the movies there are also lizards in a bunch of the movies yeah more squamates more squamates so i uh, this is a good franchise <laughs> there are a couple that are just quick appearances yeah it's a, we're showing you a lizard so that you remember where you are there's a gecko on a window inspector there's an what looked like an iguana or yeah, something. something. It's, it goes by real quick in the desert in Quantum of Solace. There is a notable iguana in License to Kill. <laughs> it's the pet of the bad guy. That's how you know he's a bad guy. Yeah. Because he has a reptile pet. Because he's cold-blooded. Because he's just, yeah, and his girlfriend doesn't like it because she's bad too. <laughs> but the most interesting of the lizard appearances is in Skyfall. Yes. 
where there is a pit of Komodo dragons. At this, like, really, really upscaled casino. Where they could afford Komodo dragons. As you're entering the casino, you go over a bridge over a Komodo dragon habitat. Yes. And it's supposed to be that, like... It's it's like when you walk across the bridge over an alligator habitat, you know, at a place. It's supposed to be that sort of thing. Now, the habitat... Cool idea. Mm -hmm. Awesome to see Komodo dragons show any kind of monitor in a movie. But poorly constructed habitat because there's no roof which means that when a fight starts bond and one of the dudes fall into the habitat Mm -hmm. which is dangerous for your animals yes now this is next this this part becomes interesting because so often the animals are an active threat yeah like here is a snake that's what you need to be worried about it's the bad guy these crocs are the bad guys they're they're your problem yeah that's the problem this scene becomes Bond and the dude fight each other with the environmental hazard of Komodo dragons. Yeah. And then one of them bites the dude, uh, which is a Komodo dragon thing to do, Like I, I would imagine. It, it's, this is, once again, an animal that has been documented to kill people. Like, people have died at the tooth of the teeth <laughs> of Komodo dragons. And then it drags him off into the corner, which I don't know that that's a very Komodo dragon thing to do. I honestly don't know. But then my favorite part is that the other Komodo dragon in the habitat, instead of attacking the still standing human, runs over to join the first one with its meal. Yeah, like at when the scene, like after the other one grabs it, you see the other one start to rush out and it feels like it's about to be. And now it's your turn to deal with the animal's bond, which is what most movies would do. Like, right now, we've you shown have the, to fight one. yeah, we've shown the animal is scary by having it kill a hench, you know, the ranker killed the Gamorrean guard so that we could see how dangerous it was. Yeah, so now you're worried for Luke. Yep. But it's not. It runs past him to go get the easy meal that's being mangled. Yeah, because they're gregarious feeders. Yes. They'll gather around a carcass and eat it. So once again, like, not, it, it, it's still movieified in that it, it, like, very slowly, suspensefully approaches the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And then it drags him off into the dark for, uh, uh, ambiance yeah for scariness but all in all if you told me that you'd seen a komodo dragon do something like that that it makes sense i'd believe it because komodo dragons are big dangerous lizards that regularly hunt things human-sized so this is an example of cool animals being shown fairly reasonably Mm -hmm. and not mistreated yeah. It doesn't look like they're ever in the scene with a person, like, side by side, No, the way the crocs were. I the, think they're doing some movie magic. And when I think in most of the scenes, it's CG. Uh, like, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Most of the scenes with the Komodos look CG. Uh, whilst, as you said, the crocs and gators in Live and Let Die were legitimately there. And there were definitely a couple of yeah, moments. Yeah, it was the early 70s. Yes. <laughs> they, did not, they did not CG in the Crocs. Like, and there are definitely people right next to them. Like, there's a shot of Bond on the island with gators in the water. Yes. And it's like, yeah, that's what's <laughs> happening. So, plenty of reptile representation. No turtles. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. We saw a sea turtle. True. In, like, a environmental shot well, at one point. <laughs> We also see a scene where a sea turtle is being ridden by oh, that's right. one of the characters in For Your Eyes Only. 
That's right. Oh, no, no. It was in Thunderball. Where yeah, I was going to say, it. I think that's Thunderball. And uh, don't, don't, don't ride, do that. Don't do that. That's don't ride sea turtles. Terrible. <laughs> but there's lots of other tetrapods. Mm-hmm. There are many movies that feature birds. Yeah. But for the most part, they're just birds. Yeah, they don't do anything with any of the birds, really. Like, there's a cool parrot who who gives up, gives away the bad guys a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then there, in Never Say Never Again, there were vultures. Yeah. Which was a cool thing. Because, like, we see parrots, we see crows. There's a scene in Moonraker where they're hunting pheasants. Mm-hmm. Which are like, okay, yeah, no, there's birds. Or, there's pigeons in a bunch of the films. Yeah. But vultures, like, they went out and got some vultures to stock this. The vultures don't do anything. Yeah, they never do anything with it. And I'm almost kind of surprised we didn't get a moment with a guy who was, like, my assassin eagle. You know, like, I'm going to send my hawk to go peck Bond's eyes out as he climbs this mountain or something. Or, like, the snakes and the the lizards, like, someone ends up locked in the room and the the vultures attack him to take him down or something. I thought we were going to see, like, that the vultures were uh, picking at the people in the dungeon. They're definitely there to be scary. Even though vultures are not at all scary birds. Not particularly. Like, what's a vulture going to do? Like, I don't want to be bitten by one, but... No. I don't know why. If I got bitten by a vulture, I assume I deserved it. I guess the vultures are there to signify that this is a a place of death. That's like the dungeon. That's what I got from it. But there's no dead stuff. It's just vultures. Yeah. (laughs) As I got that, it's it's insinuated people die here. Then there's a bunch of domesticated animals that show up, Mm -hmm. which are automatically less interesting from like an animal representation like a wild animal representation because you can make a domesticated animal do whatever you want. Yep, because we designed them that way. There are a couple of moments of note. So horses and camels are very common in these movies. There is a scene in Never Say Never Again where they have uh, the uh, the characters ride a horse off of a... It's not a cliff, it's a building. Yeah, like a Like the roof. Into the water. And what appears to be a scene where they dropped a horse into water. Yep. That sure looked like they dropped a horse into water. Where they... Did that thing. <laughs> and horses are great swimmers, but don't do that. This one, I think it landed upside down. <laughs> like, it lands, like, it looks very much like it did the whole thing of jumping forward and, like, back in flips over right. the front end. Front flip for style. Yeah. It's it's not, not good. <laughs> no. There are a bunch of dogs, mostly as, like, momentary background things. Yeah. There is a sequence in Moonraker where the bad guy has... His attack dogs. His hunting dogs. Rottweilers or... I think so. Dober, something like that. I think they're Rottweilers. And he sends them after a, a minion who has betrayed him. And that's an interesting scene because it's a, like, suspenseful... Kind of horrifying. <laughs> you're being chased by monsters. And it would totally fit the characterization of a monsterified scene if they weren't dogs. Yeah. Because you... No, no, that's a thing that dogs do. Well, that scene in Django Unchained is in there for a reason. Yeah, like, like it it was an interesting moment to have a monster, like a monstery animal scene where it's like, no, yeah, you yep. could get a dog to do that. There are dogs that are <laughs> that have been specifically bred and trained to do this thing. Domesticants are also less interesting in, for the context of this film because I'm rarely concerned, particularly with stuff like dogs, at how they're being treated. Mm-hmm. Like that horse was obviously, yeah, don't do that. And I'm, I think I remember there are a couple of scenes of like, you know, the horses, the Western scene of a horse 
falling down due to gunshot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a couple of those don't look like the, we've trained the horse to do this. It is, we've put, the old style that used to do that in movies, for anyone out there who doesn't know, is they put, put cords around the horse's feet and pull. Yeah. And that's how you got a horse to fall down in a war movie. And it's horrifying. So not great. But those attack dogs, uh, there's uh, no evidence in the film <laughs> to suggest that they weren't loved on by everybody on set. Yeah, they, they were probably having a great time. They were probably doing great. These movies did not have the thing at the end of the credits that says no animals. Actually, I don't know when that... I, we weren't looking to see when that started. No, yeah, we didn't keep up. I do know that... That would have been cool to look for. At least to my knowledge. Correct me if I'm wrong out there, anyone. Uh, but that started because of Milo and Otis. So any okay. movies before Milo and Otis wouldn't have had that. And then Milo and Otis killed so many puppies and kittens <laughs> that the animals' rights came into film. So Milo and Otis was in 1986. And I, I, I have my phone, so yep. I looked it up. And so that would suggest that everything, basically Dalton onwards, mm -hmm. should have... And actually, that pretty much tracks. Because... Once you get to that point, once you're done with more, yep, significantly fewer <laughs> questionable animal scenes and many more fake animals in the movies from that point on. Yep. So it actually makes a lot sense if you with with that date in mind. There are a handful of other tetrapods of note. Just quick notes. There is in Octopussy. There's a circus. Yep. So we see a chimpanzee that someone's holding, which. Don't do that. No. I assume that that was like a trained person. No, and it's there for a moment. And but... young chimpanzees, like handler, you know, if you've ever watched the the documentaries where they are um, fostering orphan chimps and things like that, like that, you do carry them that way. But right. anything but bigger than a young chimp. PSA for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Don't pick up chimps. Yes. Like that's not something you want to be doing. And then there's a couple of tigers in this movie. One is when Bond's doing his running through the jungle and encountering all the things. Yeah. There's a moment where a tiger, like full on adult tiger, walks out of the woods and like growls at him or whatever. And Bond tells it to sit. And it does. Yep. And then he leaves. Because Because cats are dogs. I guess. Because <laughs> even tigers are dogs. And then the other tiger appearance is there's like there's very quick moment when they're in the circus where someone is like passing around a baby tiger. Yes. And this is something that like that's something you can go to places to do today is get pictures with like baby cubs of exotic cats. Don't do that. No. That's bad. That that there's no guarantee that the place that every place is doing that incorrectly, but there there is a very bad background to that practice it is a generally a good idea a, a general good rule is if you're not trained to hold a baby animal you shouldn't be holding a baby animal so yeah well and like for and now, example, it was a circus so yeah our expectations can only be so high <laughs> but to, to give an example like at when i worked at the aquarium we would do interactions with animals and bring them over to guests but at no point did the guest ever hold the animal no. It was, I would let them touch the animal in a very specific, controlled way, and if they broke that rule, they didn't get to touch the animal right. anymore. Two fingers on the back. And usually, if they broke the if they broke the rule too egregiously, no one got to touch the animal anymore. Yep. Animal goes away. I would I, go, all right, animal's going back up, because that was 
too much. I would do that when I was at the nature center mm-hmm. up in New York. Like, yeah, if you grab the snake's tail, snake goes away. Yes. Because that, that's not fair to the snake for me to just allow people to do that. So the the commercial just holding of exotic animals is not great. There are also a few elephants in the franchise. There's the elephants at the circus, mm-hmm. and there's elephants being ridden by people in yeah. India. And then there's an elephant in the man with the golden gun that is mischievously messing with Sergeant J.W. Pepper. Yeah. Who is in the movie. Yeah, it's just a little baby elephant that's there for him to be, quote-unquote, funny with. Which is another one, like the dogs, where I'm like, I bet that elephant was having a grand old time. Yeah. Because I, I don't know much about elephant movie training and stuff. I don't either. But you can train elephants, and so I hope at least... That the elephant was having a good time. There are a bunch of monkeys in the living daylights. Mm -hmm. Macaques running around. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. And then, moving back into some more substantial things, some more monstery things, there's a bunch of arthropods. Yeah, some inverts. Invertebrates, which are almost invariably shown as scary, bad, monstery, no good creatures. And mostly arachnids. Mostly arachnids, so we see, in fact, I think it's all arachnids, we see a couple of spider moments in Dr. No, way back in the start, yeah. a tar- like the snake in Live and Let Die, a tarantula is left in his room, his hotel room, to, I guess, go after him and murder him in the night. Well, and it's, it's the way these scenes are often treated is the idea that, like, if a spider is left in the room with a human... It is inevitable that said spider will bite said human. Right. Like, that's what happens when humans and spiders are in proximity to each other. That's what spiders do. That's why we're all being bitten by spiders constantly. All the time. Right right now. I think they leave it in his bed. Yeah. So that it, like, it's a very, like, scary scene where it's crawling under the sheets and up onto him and stuff. And it's following in that trend like with the snakes where it's like there is one of these here and thus everyone is in danger yep so it's spiders getting a bad rap octopussy has a quick moment where bond when he's doing his jungle uh, safari runs through a spider web and there's like a a serial killer musical yeah. note yeah like <laughs> oh no and he has to like get rid of the spider and it they don't even, I don't even think they show a spider. It's I, just... I think you maybe see it for a second. Yeah. But they do that in movies all the time where it's like, there's a web, you know, so surely the spider is waiting to catch you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that, and like, it's a, it's a scary, mo- oh, there was a tiger, scary. There was a cobra, scary. There's a spider in a web. And it's a lot of like quick, cheap, monstery animal moments. Yeah. And then we have a bunch of scorpion appearances. Which are slightly more reasonable than the spiders. So there is a scene in Diamonds Are Forever where the bad guys drop a scorpion down a guy's shirt. Yep. Which is like a, that feels like a prank you pull on somebody to drop a bug in their shirt. Yes. Less than a murderous. (laughs) And super villainy. And that's another one where it's, well, it's in your shirt. Obviously it will sting you. Which, it's a disturbed fair enough i would i would kind of be surprised if i didn't get stung by a scorpion that just got dropped down the back of my shirt agreed 
And then the guy does the same thing that you were describing with the snakes in Live and Let Die. And then dies instantly. He seizes up and then dies. And it's not to say that there aren't snakes and there aren't scorpions that are incredibly deadly. Because there are. And I don't know what kind of scorpion that was. I couldn't tell. Yeah. So for, like... There are absolutely members of both of those groups that are known to cause death some within less than a day. Oh, yeah. like it'll, it'll work pretty quick. If, if, if you're not a few hours from a hospital, you're probably not going to make it. But within seconds... Insta-death is a very monstery trait. Yeah, there's not much... And there's not a lot of venomous things out there that quite have that effect on people. Yeah. So this is, I mean, we haven't, we mentioned this in the episodes very often, but this trend of monsterifying animals, mm-hmm. giving them traits that don't really make sense, but help them feel scary what? and movie-y. They, they don't make sense, but they make good film. Yes. There is a whole sequence in Die Another Day where scorpions are implied to be used for torture. Yeah, and in that one, it's, it's almost suggested that, kind of like, um, if anyone remembers the like the bee sting therapy where they would have a bee and put it like up against someone's skin to trigger some of the immune system responses i don't know if there's any validity to bee sting therapy but they would just take a bee and kind of press it against you yeah and the bee would respond by stinging because it was being pressed against something that's always kind of what i took from that scene is not that they were like we're gonna leave scorpions in your dungeon but like we we are torturing you right and i'm going to strap you to this chair and take a scorpion and push it against your arm. And I think they said that they would inject him and then give him anti-venom. Mm-hmm. Like over and over again as a torture yeah. thing. So you get you get the pain of the sting, but it's not going to kill you. It's, uh, I mean, that's it, the scorpions aren't actually doing anything. So I, it's a certainly a reasonable thing for humans to do. Yeah, and well, once again, death, uh, okay. And yeah, it makes sure. for a cool opening sequence. <laughs> And then there is a scorpion that makes an appearance in Skyfall, uh, where Bond's doing the drinking challenge. Yeah, he's drinking a, a, a shot of some liquor with a scorpion sitting on his drinking hand. Yep. And he's having to take the the drink without disturbing the scorpion enough to get stung. Which is actually kind of a cool way to display a scorpion, because that's an irresponsible thing to do. No, dumb thing. But the scorpion is yeah no it's not dangerous unless you're really bugging it mm-hmm. so yeah don't go picking up scorpions no and but it's... you could and you'd probably be okay because they're not just trying to kill everybody yes. and the other thing i liked about that one is i don't know a lot about scorpions but i do know that on average claw size gives you a slight indication to venom not always not okay. completely but like emperor scorpions have big meaty claws and not terrible venom because they use their claws to tear things apart Right. While really delicate clawed scorpions can oft times, once again, I don't know that this is as average as it's often made out to be, but oft times have more potent venom because they need to kill their prey. It's like uh, box jellyfish have incredibly potent venom because their tentacles are so delicate. If the fish struggles at all, it tears them apart. So it was a teeny tiny scorpion. So I assume that getting stung by that one would not be good. Like getting stung by an emperor scorpion, you'd be uncomfortable. This one would have... There was reason for there to be tension. Yeah. Uh, and once again, though, I'm, it was a CG scorpion, so, eh. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then once, that, at that point, we're in the 2000s, yeah. and it's, yeah, they're, 
using they're all, CGing it. All and, animals but the horses and dogs. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we will move into what is sort of the final extended section of this this episode, which is stuff in the water. Because, man, did these movies spend a lot of time in the water. There are tons of fish in this franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, usually they're, you know, like when we're in the, cause, like you said, for whatever reason, this franchise really likes putting scenes underwater. Well, because you're not a secret agent if you don't put on Scooby gear at least once a mission. Everyone loves a water level. <laughs> And so oftentimes it's like, here's some fish, here's a manta ray, here... There is a scene where Bond has, like, a manta ray suit. Yes! So that so that he can hide from the bad guys. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I forget which one that was in, but that was very funny. Uh, but then uh, there's also this trend of bad guys having aquaria. Yes. Like, Dr. No has an aquarium. Blofeld has an aquarium in From Russia with Love. There was... Octopussy has an aquarium. I think, uh, oh, the um, uh, 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 Stromberg mm-hmm. in The Spy Who Loved Me. A bunch of bad guys have aquariums, which is weird because I get it with like, this bad guy has a lizard. He must be a bad yeah, dude. Yeah, he must be a weirdo. Are fish a weird? Like Maybe it's an extravagance thing. Uh, maybe it's a... an ex- extravagance thing, or maybe it's like a, a, a smart people have aquariums. I feel like like a sophistication, a sophistication thing hmm. that it's like, look how fancy my living. Because I mean, extravagance and sophistication is not a terrible. Like if you have a re- for anyone out there who owns aquariums, you can probably tell if you have a really nice, really big aquarium, you put some money into that. Right. Like you can't. Keep, it's a, it's a class uh, symbol. It can't, and it I it's often used that way. And I so I think that's probably what it's supposed to be is to show that I'm of the upper crust. And is often when they're trying, like, trying to show the villain as a, because they often conflate that with being an intellectual as well. Like, yes, I, I am high society in all regards. Sometimes they're used metaphorically. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, Doctor No has the fish magnified to make them look bigger. Blofeld has Siamese fighting fish. Yeah, and he has some sort of speech about the, them fighting or whatever. Um, also, it's in my notes. The fake manta ray was in License to Kill. <laughs> oh yeah which is also one of the two films where the fish are antagonists yes in license to kill there is a there's this whole thing where there's a a bunch of aquarium tanks in the bad guy's place and one of them has electric eels in it Mm -hmm. and so someone gets pushed into it which he's at like a on the coast fish fish breeder and at least to me, highly suggested to be like saltwater stuff. Just so everyone knows, <laughs> electric eels are not eels. They do not live in the ocean. They are a type of, a cousin of the knife fish. And they live in the Amazon and nowhere else. <laughs> and they're the only electric eel. No other eels do that because they're not eels. So either this guy had like a specific amazonian tank yes <laughs> or they're making stuff up and that's why i always love when they're like there are electric eels here it's like really yeah why because that's not like an easy fish to come upon no <laughs> like speaking of amazonian fish the other scene where fish uh, are villainous is in you only live twice blofeld has a pool of piranhas yeah which we don't actually see no 
it, he is Alka-Seltzer piranhas. Yeah, <laughs> we are told he has a pool of piranhas. And but then bubbles kill people. They do the piranha trope, <laughs> which is a person falls in and they are instantly surrounded by froth and bubbles and then they're dead well and the thing that i love also is they i I think in one scene you see like the path of the bubbles come to them and what i always love whenever they suggest that with piranhas is you know the frothing water of them just going rabid on something and then when you see the bubbles travel is it's like are the piranhas just going through empty water well they're 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 exhaling (laughs) (laughs) it's just like like as they're surfacing they're exhaling slowly as they come to the surface they know how to do it well it's they're just eating each other on the way to the bigger meal (laughs) hopefully there's enough of us they're finishing their last meal (laughs) which and that's another one that is like that is a very movie trope the whole thing of a swarm of piranhas cleaning a skeleton or whatever yeah and they are hungry fish once yeah it's not that there isn't potential danger it's it's like the scorpion and the snake where the, if you're in the water, you will die. Well, and the thing that I've always found funny about the perception that piranhas are this this swarm thing of like, we will take down anything that falls in the water. Well, then wouldn't they eat everything in the Amazon? Like, yeah. if, a, if a school of piranhas can take down something the size of a human, then that includes things the size of a jaguar and things the size of a caiman and things the size of giant Amazonian fish. Like... How how would anything compete with them if that's how they worked? And that's not how... They don't work as a swarm. No. <laughs> they find food and then they all fight over it. <laughs> so no fish were harmed in the making of that movie at the very least. <laughs> a few other water creatures. Uh, Octopussy has a blue-ringed octopus in her aquarium. Which cool thing to include. Cool. She also has a like her bathrobe. Yeah. Is or I guess her robe. Her robe is has a the octopus on it. And I think there's a she has a tattoo of it. Uh, the other lady had a tattoo. That's what I it was. forget her name, but the circus lady had the, this little tattoo on mm-hmm. her. Uh, the octopus is very much fake. Very it fake. It looks like. And then because it's a dangerous animal, because they're very venomous. Yeah. So all octopuses have venomous saliva. At least all that I'm aware of. Uh, I'm sure there are some that are exception, but they have venomous saliva to paralyze their prey. The blue ringed, as far as we know, is the only one with venom venom strong enough that it uses it as a defense mechanism. And I think it's implied somewhere in the movie that they're using the venom. They're like taking the venom for use as poison or whatever. Yeah, they're milking the octopus, I guess. And then there's a fight scene and some guy gets his face shoved into the aquarium. Yeah, the aquarium breaks and as the water rushes onto him. (laughs) Oh, that's right. There is just suddenly an octopus face hugger to his face yep. <laughs> <laughs> just bang-ow. octopusy there's also a leech that bond burns off yeah that he gets a do you burn off leeches i don't i mean i don't know that that wouldn't work but yeah. as far as i know that's not like the suggested method well he's uh, bond you know but i mean it, it fine i don't know and then the other ocean thing that stuck out to us when we were watching it is that because we're always on the lookout for animals being mistreated Mm -hmm. it's like because that kind of stands out there is a scene in for your eyes only where two of the characters are being dragged behind a boat yep like they're in the water and they're being dragged behind the boat and the animal that's being mistreated in this sequence is coral and it's supposed to be like the if anyone out there seen moana 
it's supposed to be like that where like you're getting the coral is a, a hazard it's sharp and it's dangerous and you don't want to get caught in the waves next to it you know it's supposed to, that that's what they're trying to do is they're in danger of being cut up by this coral right and yeah they're being dragged across so yeah. it's like rocks it's like oh no you're gonna get hurt on the rocks but they're like as far as we could tell actually smashing coral it did look like actual coral like it maybe they made fakes maybe they did but this was also what movie did i say this was for your eyes only mm-hmm. the early 80s so like maybe 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 you were responsible but if not oh you jerks no, no don't do that don't break coral that's bad haven't they suffered enough god <laughs> it was, that was, like i had a i had like a minor <gasps> Yeah, that was every now and then there'd be an animal moment where we would both be like, ooh, no. <laughs> it's like, I don't even no. like this movie I don't, anymore. Yeah, no, I am, my immersion is broken because you heard a thing. <laughs> well, speaking of animals that elicited a reaction out of us, there is only one category of animal left for us to touch on, and it is the animal group that is used by far the most often in prominent roles. Yep. And that is sharks. Yeah, sharks are all over the place in this franchise being used all the ways you'd expect sharks to be used i have sharks listed for i think five or six different movies in the franchise because again they're we're in the water all the time yep most notably in 1965's thunderball this is the famous the the famous one that actually uses it uh with a villain kept shark tank yeah so he has like this pool where his sharks live and where he can push people into and then connect the two pools and the sharks will come in and attack them. Yep. So what stands out to you with the sharks, Will? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> the first thing that stood out to me watching this movie is that these are live sharks that they are filming with. The actors are in the water with the sharks. Yep. And I read like some of the production stuff like behind the scenes. And yeah, no, like Sean Connery was in the water with the sharks. And they're tiger sharks. They are tiger sharks. <laughs> this is they didn't get like nurse sharks no. to stand in as sharks. It's a, unlike the crocodile situation where it's like, yeah, we'll get some like, you know, we'll get an easy to use safe animal and just pretend it's the scary one. Right, get an American alligator yeah. or get a king snake and yeah. it's not going to do anything. No, no, you got tiger <laughs> sharks and most of the sharks in most of the Bond movies are tiger sharks. And the reason this is, I'm freaking out for anyone who's unfamiliar with tiger sharks, tiger sharks are one of the larger predatory sharks alive today. They range up to sizes of not quite great white, but in the, in the mid teens is the upper reaches of how big tiger sharks typically get. They are the sharks that are called the garbage cans of the sea they they eat basically anything they're often license plates and yeah stuff. famous for eating uh scrap metal because metal puts off enough of electrical charge in salt water that it attracts sharks attention but they also are the ones with chainsaw teeth because they bite through turtle shells yeah <laughs> like these are the shark i think it's second to great whites uh though it may be third after bull shark i'd have to double check but for human attacks, they are toward the top of the list. So putting your actors alongside these sharks is not only dangerous for the sharks, like you shouldn't be doing that, but no, those are actually dangerous sharks. Those are, that's, that's like, we're going to do a scene with a lion. Now, I did some research because I was utterly baffled. Yep. And 
Tiger sharks, though higher on the list for fatal attacks because of the 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 devastation of their bite, are not particularly high energy aggressive sharks. They're very slow swimming cruising sharks compared to your great white, which is more like a torpedo. And they're very common. I did not realize how common tiger sharks were globally. And so, so they're very easy to come by. Yeah, it might be that they're easy to catch. And since they're relatively calm, mm-hmm. it's I think when we talked about it, the comparison we made is like, well, it's like an alligator. Yes. Like, that is a fairly docile, dangerous animal. Yeah. If you do get bitten, you are in trouble. You're going to the hospital. Like, a tiger shark is like, well, it's like the, the, the most dangerous dogs. Yes. Where it's like, yeah, and oftentimes it's not that the dog doesn't have to be aggressive. It's just we made a dog that is meant to do lots of damage. Yeah, exactly. With a particularly powerful bite or something. And so that's it's less unreasonable than my initial reaction. But still, like, actual time. And not, itty, like, you'd expect there to be a camera trick of, like, we're going to shoot a two-foot, three-foot tiger shark. And make it look big. No, there are scenes where it's like that person is next to a five to six foot tiger yeah, shark. That is a bond sized tiger shark. That is a fatal tiger <laughs> shark. That is that is something that could kill you. So throughout the movies, there's a bunch of shark tropes. So the sharks are often used. Like there are a handful of times where shark people are fed to sharks. Yep. But then there's also a bunch of times where sharks are just, like the vultures, mm-hmm. they're there to tell you that there's danger. Yes, it's that I, we're swimming through this wreckage and then a shark shows up and I have to figure out how to get around this shark. Right. It is a dangerous... I think there's at least one sequence in one of them where there were just sharks around for a mm-hmm. while and they didn't do anything. It's just, no, no, it's just there's danger. Yep. There are a few moments. So Thunderball does this and then I think For Your Eyes Only did this. Where they do the sharks come after blood thing. Yep. Where someone gets cut and now it's like, oh, now the tension is high. Yep. Now the sharks are on their way. It's a matter of time. Because the sharks didn't notice you. Yes. Until you started bleeding. And just in case anyone, I don't know if I said this on the shark episode, but. You said this in one of our mini rants at the end of one of these episodes. It might have been Meg. It might have been, the, yeah, I think it was the yeah, Meg. Yeah, it might have been Meg. But of course sharks can smell your blood, but it doesn't smell like fish blood. So they may be interested, but they sharks don't just go into feeding frenzies when there's food. No. That's not how it works. Uh, this movie, this franchise does that a couple times. Mm-hmm. The shark says super scary things. There are, there are a handful of times where a bad guy has sharks, mm-hmm. just to be intimidating. In License to Kill uh, was the only time, I think, they have a scene where sharks are attacking someone, but we notice that there are fake sharks. Yeah, fake shark is the one doing it. There's real sharks in uh, establishing shots. Yes. Fake sharks doing the attacking. Right, so that you don't have a person in the water with the shark. Yes, which is better. And then there are a few moments uh, emblematic of the treatment of sharks. Yes. So they're in a Never Say Never Again. There's the scene where, you know, the, the, the they're in the wreckage and Bond's being chased by the shark. And he's, like, pushing stuff at it to stop it coming after it. Mm-hmm. So he, like, closes the door on the shark. And then the, what was it, a, a, the mast or the something? Mast. The mast of the, the boat, like, tips over and falls to stop the shark. And that's cool and all. But by all appearances, they just actually closed a door on a shark. 
and dropped a log on a shark. And with a log on a shark, the shark was actually pinned. Like yeah. you can see it gasping to breathe. It is it is opening its mouth trying to pump water, and it is just a shark that they pinned down. Yeah, it's really bad. That oh no. That, and so that was what did I say? That was never said ever again. Mm-hmm. Eighty three. So a few years before Milo and Opus. <laughs> but then probably the worst one, I think the worst moment in the franchise, animal-wise, for us, yep. is in Thunderball. Thunderball has a couple of moments that are real rough. One of them is during a big underwater fight. I, I think Bond, but maybe someone else, shoots a shark with a spear gun to like mm-hmm. ward it off right. while they're out in the ocean. And unless they use some very clever camera play, actually shot a shark with a spear gun. It looks like they actually just shot a shark with a spear gun. And considering the background for this movie is that they went out with rods, caught tiger sharks, brought them into pins where they were tied up. Because if they can't swim much, they get lethargic because, you know, they're not breathing. Yeah. And then you would take the shark and aim it in the direction you wanted the shot to be and you'd let it go and then for the most part those sharks just swam back out into the ocean because that's how you did movies back then so this shark is swimming along it doesn't look like it it's not like it dies no it gets gets speared hit in the side and jolts and then keeps swimming and it reacts to it Mm -hmm. and like it like ouch and then keeps swimming like you shot a shark in your movie but then this was 1965. Yes. Very before Milo Otis. And, but there's another scene where sharks are swimming around and they're needing to dive. And so they, they take a rifle out and shoot at a couple of them. And then it shows a dead shark. Yeah. Now, whether they shot that shark in that, whether that was actually what happened in that scene, or they got a dead shark in some other way, but it was definitely an actual dead shark. Yeah, that was <laughs> or like it was a prop. A, it was the best prop I've ever seen. <laughs> and so someone killed a shark and they used it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not very prone to. So there are, there's a mixture. It's, it's actually, it's a very interesting franchise to watch for lots of re- like cultural reasons and cinematic reasons. Yes. And like, it's a trip through time and it's fascinating. But with the animals, it's really interesting to see how treatment of animals changed over time to see the way the animals are portrayed in the films throughout the the, the franchise. That's probably what stood out to me the, the most, because like the fact that they started using fake animals in later movies or benign animals for whenever they were real made sense because like, well, yeah laws have changed right. like it's the 90s now you can't shoot a shark on your movie anymore <laughs> you are gonna get a talking to but it also was interesting to me that other than the fake shark and like the komodo dragons there's very few instances of antagonistic animals yeah they're not bad guys very often and i wonder how much of that was well we can't use the animal so it's not as exciting or we don't want to cg it because if it looks bad it's gonna bring down our movie also that's a lot of money and it's expensive or and i i am hoping this is a big part of it is that audiences wouldn't buy one of those shark scenes as in a movie like james bond like yes we're still making 47 meters down yeah which is a dumb if someone out there likes it fine you enjoy your movies but is a (laughs) 
dumb, terrible, <laughs> stupid movie. And we also made The Meg. Yes. So, like, we're still making stupid. <laughs> we made Crawl, which, yep. like, yay, alligator. But also, like, you used an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> the laziest of the crocodilians. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also, I love that everyone in that movie pointed out that, like, yeah, you put basements in Florida. This movie is unbelievable. Right? <laughs> so, like, we're still making dumb animal movies. But in a movie that we're supposed to be taking seriously, like a, a action movie James Bond. Or it's supposed to be at least, you know... There's tension. There's... tension you know, this tension is supposed to be there. Well, I wonder if it's just that audiences are, are less cool with it or not going to buy it. Or if it feels... If it feels archaic, like I wonder if it feels yeah. dated to have a shark, you know, in a villain shark tank. So maybe, maybe the, you know, uh, certainly the culture around movies has changed and it is reflected somewhat in the way that they're using their animals, yeah. which is pretty cool. So it's, it's interesting. And it's, uh, you know, what, once again, by no means are the Bond movies in any way attempting to be references for these animals so no uh, us seemingly being harsh on them is not misplaced interpretation of the films oh no as always we are commenting on how movies are using these things because yes. some of them are, are are fun films even when they do dumb animal stuff we're not we're not passing judgment on the films as films that's what more thoughts is for <laughs> but it is very interesting to see uh especially because a lot of these movies created many of these tropes or at least made them famous they sure and actually now that you say that it occurs to me the one animal that i somehow left off of the list is cats mm -hmm. this is the film that in this the franchise that as far as i can tell invented the trope of the bad guy menacingly petting his cat yes that's Blofeld. That Blofeld has a cat. So that's that was really the reason that these were standing out so much to us is that the the Bond franchise. And if someone's a like film historian and is actually like actually Doctor No took a bunch of stuff from other stuff. Oh sure, uh, let us know. We would love to hear. Uh, so that. Yeah, teach us stuff about Bond. That would be fascinating. <laughs> but it, you know, fame wise, when we see a lot of the the those kinds of tropes, they're referencing Bond. So so many of these weird movie animal moments that are now cliches in film yep kind of trace their origins back to here or so at it, least movies like this yes that this genre of bad guys who have sharks in their lairs yeah it, and often at least feel like they're referencing this so it was very interesting to see kind of the the early versions of that and how it's persisted in movie portrayal of these animals and therefore a lot of times our perception Yep. of the animals now before we finish the episode as always we like to have like like we say we're not here to nitpick the films we're really what we're interested in is the sort of broader concepts yeah this one's a little more nitpicky because we're talking about individual animals so typically we have a section at the end of the, the, the episodes which is our mini rants which is our opportunity to nitpick something <laughs> that bugs us about the science for this one, we're going to nitpick the franchise. Yes. So we're going to pick some stuff. Because if we were wanting to get really specific and nitpick a scene from a movie, nah, that's yeah, zooming yeah. way too far in. <laughs> Will, what is your James Bond mini rant? Mine is, is very franchise in the fact that it's not technically specific to the James Bond franchise, 
but to the people making the franchise. So MGM made the the vast bulk of the the early Bond movies. And so at the beginning of almost every Bond movie we watched, there is that scene where a lion comes on and roars to signify that MGM helped out. Yep. And though they've made other movies than Bond, I, since we're talking about animals... We had to endure it. I feel remiss to mention that that's a tiger roar. <laughs> it's very much how, like, every time you've almost ever heard an eagle make a noise in a movie, it's actually a hawk. It's a red-tailed hawk. Whenever you hear that lion roar at the beginning of MGM movies, it's a tiger. You can go look up the names of the individual lion that was the model and the individual tiger who roared because lion roars are like, yeah, they're not nearly as impressive as as a movie maker wants it to be. While tiger growls and roars make you poop your pants. (laughs) So they use that. And it's, I get it, (laughs) but it's, it's just. It's in every movie. It started to it, bug me. Every time we had to watch these movies. <laughs> so I would tell David and add another tiger to the list. <laughs> it was in another one of these movies. You know, mentioning big carnivores makes me realize, and I hadn't thought about this, animals that we didn't see in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't see, I think maybe, did we see wolves? I think there was like maybe a scene with wolves. But maybe. I don't remember. Like no. wolves? Yeah. Bears aren't in there? No. Eh. Some missed opportunities. Yes. But that's not my mini rant. (laughs) My mini rant. So we decided that this episode would be talking about the animals and leaving out the other sciencey subjects for lots of reasons. One, mostly because so we can narrow it down. But I want to touch on the scientists of the Bond franchise for they are disappointing. All of them. There wasn't like if you asked us to do a scientist breakdown of this, we'd have we'd be hard pressed. Most of the scientists in this franchise are they are scientists so that the plot has a scientist in it, but they don't do sciencey stuff, Mm-mm. really. They are either background characters who wear lab coats and where stuff. We, are, we assume you're scientists, but we're never introduced to you, so yeah. Or they are bad guys who are mad scientists, very tropey. Or, in several cases, they are a scientist whose scientific credentials are barely touched upon in favor of them being an attractive woman Mm -hmm. that is in the movie so that there's an attractive woman in the movie and them being a scientist is often the way that they're put in the movie like like script wise that's the plot element here is here is a supermodel wearing a lab coat you're in the movie now yeah and then there are a bunch of times where bond fits into some of the scientist tropes we've talked about (laughs) Like, yes, he does. There was, I think this was in The Spy Who Loved Me, where there's a sequence where he's, like, showing up. He's showing off by knowing a bunch of oddly specific information. Like, someone, I don't think it was Q or M, was doing a presentation and they, like, bring up a chemical formula and Bond's like, oh, yes, that's the chemical formula for blood. And then the next scene, they bring up this rare orchid this plant because they're like oh we found evidence of this plant and it only grows in one place or you know we were able to track the bad guy and they bring it up and bond's like well yes that orchid that was thought to be extinct and then they discovered it in this one why do you know why are you the know-it-all yeah sign you have a character for that yes exactly there is a character who's supposed to be like that it's weird that you made bond that trope that we've talked about of the exposition 
science machine. Well, and the reason it's super weird to me is because they, they have lots of moments of Bond just, he always is on point all the time. You know, and he always knows what he needs to know to be impressive. But a lot of times it's like when he's at a casino or when he's like drinking, like he identifies alcohols all the time. Or right? he'll take, a, take yeah. a sip and then say, you know... No, 1968, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, alcohol name. Yeah. And <laughs> that makes complete sense to me because... he's an alcoholic. Because he's an alcoholic. <laughs> Like, well, and because he's a cool guy, and yeah. drinking is a cool guy thing to do. Like, so that makes sense that you would be an expert in that, and it makes sense that you would be an expert in like the casino stuff because half the scenes where you're like getting close to the <laughs> bad you're guy in a casino all the time is that while casinos, playing baccarat. Casinos are Bond's favorite terrain. Yes, and so like, but why do you know the chemical formula for blood? And that's the parts, the movies where they do that always are weird to me because at the movies seem to switch between bond being a lackadaisical agent where like q's showing him the new equipment and bond's like not paying attention yeah he's, and a he's like touching stuff that he's not <laughs> supposed to be touching and he's like fiddling with things and he's making fun of q and then two scenes later he's like oh yes this scientific concept discovered by this person known for this it's like, no 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 you stop it that's not how that works and then the other scientists that there's a bunch of them but the last one that i want to make sure to mention is that a, a few times but once very noticeably this franchise does the hacker thing <laughs> yeah but there is a moment where the computery character this is in skyfall says out loud to the camera he hacked us but that uh, you can't just say that and make not, it so you can't just say words <laughs> yeah they, they have the hacker thing all the time of like they're playing they're playing like puzzles on the screen mm -hmm. and that's how hacking is it's, supposed I'm, to work i'm trying i'm having to type at the speed of code yes <laughs> it, they do all the weird hacker tropes and th th that one came out in 2012 you know better than that. You all use computers. Yeah. Anyway, this was a delightful journey for us to go on. A weird episode, but we had a lot of fun putting these notes together. As always, we hope that everybody out there is staying safe and staying healthy. We hope you enjoyed our little rantings about animals and Bond. Uh, oftentimes, we will get to the end of one of these and recommend a film. So, yeah, no, we recommend at least six of these. Yeah. If you want to hear more about our non-sciencey thoughts of the franchise, if for patrons we will upload an extra discussion, our more thoughts, where we will go through our more thoughts. Ooh, strap in. On the Bond franchise. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think this might be our last silver screen science for a little while in this current series. We're going to take a little bit of a break, but we are still open to doing more extra content. We're still bouncing some ideas around. So if there are things you'd like to see us do, let us know. As always, give us suggestions and we'll see how we can help you and ourselves fill the time that we are now spending inside distracting ourselves from scary things. Yeah. And with that, I think we will end this unusual episode of Silver Screen Science. <laughs> Stay tuned for more, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.